Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. On today's program, we examine the recent violence in Jerusalem for the commemoration of Jerusalem Day. Palestinians were banned from the Holy City on that day and there was a considerable alt-right Israeli rally. We speak with Palestinian and socialist activist Reem Yunus. But first up on today's show, we speak with Elizabeth Arujo, country organiser in East Timor for a feeder community aid abroad. She joins me to discuss the recent East Timor elections. My name is Elizabeth Lino de Arauzo. I'm as a country manager for Union Aid Abroad Afida Timor-Leste. Well, East Timor held its five yearly presidential election recently. Can you talk a yes. little bit about the candidates and what the main issues were in the election? Presidential election, we have we have two rounds presidential elections. So first round is competed by 16 candidates with four women and 12 men. And then through that, uh, who the, there is a two, according to our uh, law, that the, 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 who uh, will be as a president have to uh, win uh, 50% plus one. So that's why through the 19th March 2022, uh, there was a two candidate, um, got the majority, like not majority vote, but the high vote. So the first, Zera uh, Mozolta got uh, 46% and Luolo got 20, I think 22%. So with that, so not, none of them get the majority, 50% plus one. That's why the elections uh, went through the second round. So second round, it's been uh, realized on the uh, 19th of April, 2022. And through that, a majority of the populations of Timor-Leste vote uh, Mr. Dr. Zuzera Mozorta with the 62.9%. And Luolo got less, so that's why uh, like the total Zera uh, Mozorta is at 72 years old and he he got or he secured with 397,145 uh, votes and with the percentage 62.09% against against Francisco Luolo Guterres with 242,440 or 37.91%. So this is, um, so that's why the results have been announced by the uh, appeal tribunal that Zera Mozorta is the president for Timor-Leste. East Timor has never had a president win a second term. What does this tell us about politics in the country? Yeah, politics in a country, uh, <clears throat> he won with the 62% uh, uh, 0.09 on the second round. It's because uh, uh, mo- most of the population think like the, uh, and, and the previous president, uh, Luolo, 
uh, is not the right person to continue as a president. So everyone's prefer 62.9 prefers Zuzera Mazorta because Zuzera Mazorta was the president in 2007 uh, to 2012. And then uh, the president Ram Mazorta, the politics is because Ram, uh, Mr. Sanana Guzman backing him up and promoting him and joined together with him to the campaign and synergies back in Zeram Zolta. That's why to the second round it's been a uh, result with this percentage. Uh, José Ramos Horta announced upon his election that he had two priorities for the future of the country. The first Mm -hmm. was building unity in East Timor. Can you give the listeners an idea of the problems of unity that East Timor faces? Yeah, the 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 problems of the unities of the Timor Leste is because of based during the last five years we have the uh, we got the what they call the unstable politics unstable politics uh, uh, because of they think like there is a, a, a miss uh, what they call not miss. Uh, they got like a parliament, parliamentary code and then uh, uh, COPE and then uh, the government also have a COPE on, on, on the uh, leading the government and then also leading the table of the parliamentary tables. So that's why I think during the campaign, Zuzera Mzorta uh, politics is that uh, if if he get the 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 chance to be as a president, the one thing that he might do is he will do is the dissolve parliament. But until today, he is not dissolved parliament yet. So I think this is how everyone is waiting for what Zera Mazorta will be uh, giving the statement regarding what is he did in the campaign, and. <clears throat> I think in terms of the United Timor-Leste peoples have united, as you see that during the the political situations there with the political with unstable and the ordinary peoples they doing the work normally and they not uh, they not uh, have any conflict with anyone because they said that according to them, is this is the politicians' problems, not the ordinary people's problems. Ramos Horta said his second priority was improving mm. relations with China. Uh, I think in terms of uh, Timor and China, uh, what, what I have been seeing so far is like uh, China's have been, um, what, what we call, uh, have been donated some Pro, uh, development project with Timor Leste, but what I have seen is that they 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 said that they donated a lot of money, but uh, for me it's like uh, most of the workers is coming from from China. It have to be they donated and they have to be employed. The Timor is working working in the building or working in the, the area that they have they have um, uh, supported too. So I think that's why. Uh, we, as a civil society organizations like AGNGO and an activists, that uh, we think like if China supported us and have to be uh, promoting the Timorese workers, not bringing uh, China's workers coming from China.
they can have some uh, specialist technicians, but not no not uh, ordinary uh, workers because there is a lot, uh, plenty of Timorese workers that are available in Timor. And this is the. Are you talking about the migrant worker scheme to yes. Australia? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the migrant there is a lot of like Australians have the seasonal workers uh, that every uh, every, every year is that uh, Australian uh, Australians uh, uh, with the pro seasonal workers that is a good chance for Timorese uh, workers to work there and to earn income and then to have some saving and then I think with the new government of Australia's labor labourers party is uh, leading the government and. I uh, follow the news that uh, the new government would like to focus uh, more on the Timor-Leste seasonal workers and more increase the seasonal workers for Timor-Leste and Pacific. So this is a good a good opportunity for Timor-Leste uh, governments uh, to concentrate with build up the seasonal workers for Australia. Well, recently in Australia, a judge has set a trial date for Bernard Collery the, over the spying scandal in East Timor. Can you tell mm. listeners a little bit about the spying issue for East Timor, as well as comment on whether this incident is important enough to Dilly for them to want to shift away from Australia's influence? Yeah, yeah. I think as 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 you may follow the uh, the protest from Timor-Leste activists and the peoples that we have uh, did a little bit uh, protest and campaign on uh, free the uh, free the uh, Colory and his friend his friend because uh, and then Australia have to be not do the spy for whatever that they do for Timor-Leste. Um, mm. East Timor, it came through the COVID pandemic in better shape than many of its neighbours, yet more than 20 years since independence, half the population mm. still lives in conditions of great poverty. Can you speak about living conditions in the country and whether they are improving? Uh, I think for the recent uh, last two years with COVID uh, hit globally, and I think Timor Leste also in France uh, also faced these uh, uh, problems due to the regarding uh, the job opportunity because many of the uh, business uh, sat down here, and then this give uh, a lot of people unemployed. And uh, these situations is make the government of Timor-Leste have a, a specific programs for the uh, economic recuperations. But uh, with that, the, the economic recuperations uh, is not really Timor or the Timor-Leste ordinary populations feel like they 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 get any benefit uh, from the economic recuperation because the economic recuperation is just uh, for the the, uh, the the company not the, the take away to the peoples and finally president ramos horta came out of retirement to compete in this election what does this say about the need for generational change in timorese leadership 
Uh, in terms of Tim Rees, uh, before his retirement, now he's, as, as, as I mentioned here, he's 72 years old. And then I think for the last chance for him, uh, he will do more battles to uh, to Timorese young peoples and the Timorese uh, young generations have to be learn a lot and then uh, we hope that I, I'm, I myself as a young generations also I think for the next five years we need to have a young generation as a president because it's, I think is enough for the old generation to to lead this country and time for young generation with uh, the the old generation still alive, they need to see how the young generation live in this country. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time. Was there anything else you wanted to add to the discussion? Yeah, I think one thing that I'd like to add to discussing it, like uh, I think with the new president, uh, Dr. Jose Ramon Zorta, or most of us, our expectation is that he can, uh, in good collaboration with the government, uh, Timor-Leste government, whoever leads this government, need to uh, need to uh, work hard for the unemployment issue in Timor-Leste, and then. Uh, have to uh, bring the Timor-Leste's uh, face into the global to be a, a, a good country and then a good uh, image so that can attract the investors coming to Timor to invest so that there is more job opportunity in Timor-Leste. Well... We wish you all the best with um, the work that you're doing around employment and workers' rights in Timor-Leste and, of course, we'll be following the situation in international relations in the coming months and year because no doubt this will be progressing rapidly. Thank you so much. That was Elizabeth Arujo, country organiser in East Timor for a feeder community aid abroad, speaking about the recent East Timor elections. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. Coming up next is Palestinian and socialist activist Reem Yunus speaking about recent events on Jerusalem Day. She starts here by answering the question, what is Jerusalem Day? Okay, a bit of historical background. When Palestine was... um occupied and the inception of Israel happened in 1948. Um, they uh, captured actually the western part of Jerusalem. So since then, Jerusalem was divided into the western part and the eastern part. The eastern part was up until 1967 under the Jordanian um, rule um, because it was uh, still considered um, Palestine, you know, Arab Palestine. Uh, that eastern Arab. Of course, the Western Palestine was already, um, the people were already, um, the Palestinians, like other places in 1948 Palestine, they were um, expelled and they became refugees in other neighboring Arab countries. So for the eastern part of Jerusalem, until 1967, uh, and then um, this uh, Israel, uh, when uh, they invaded uh, in 1967, uh, Gaza, the West Bank, um, the Golan Heights were all under uh, military rule of Israel. 
Jerusalem itself uh, has a specific meaning for them because Zionism is using the uh, emotions of um, playing on the emotions of the Jews, making it that Jerusalem is their united capital. So it was uh, in the eyes of the international laws, law, 90, uh, um, all Jerusalem, or Eastern Jerusalem at least, is still considered an, an occupied land, just like the West Bank. But in the eyes of the Israelis, and um, and they, as you said, the far-right groups are on the rise since uh, the 1980s, uh, then um, they, no, they consider it the, the, the eternal capital of Israel. <clears throat> so what and that's why, so, yeah, go on. That's why Eastern Jerusalem, since 1967 till today, in a very hidden way, there is an increased uh, way of Judaization, which means expelling uh, families in droves year after year after year. And uh, these families would have lived there for decades, uh, and they will have like extended families because they cannot get building permits, so they all live together. So all this uh, exposition uh, uh, of the Palestinians and keeping and, and letting these Israeli settlers who are illegal to come and live in, in the uh, eastern occupied Palestine, especially the areas around the, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and all the eastern areas, bit by bit. And this kind of Judaization and um, expelling of Pal- Palestinians uh, became faster and faster in the past five to ten years. And it was uh, a- a pronounced very, very clearly in this year in the lead-up of Nakba. So since the lead-up of Nakba, which is 14th of May, which for them is, is uh, Israel, um, uh, they call it Independence Day, is when uh, the inception of Israel happened, but for us it's our, um, our disaster, our biggest catastrophe. So because of that, uh, and because of wanting to show the Palestinians know that this land is them, theirs, and it is uh, united Jerusalem, uh, that's why the, the uh, name was coined, the Jerusalem Day. And it actually was coined on the 1980, on the eve of Israel annexing East Jerusalem, 1980, uh, to make it the united uh, capital of Israel. No one uh, recognized that in the world, especially not the United Nations. Um, and the only one who accepted that was Donald Trump, as we all know, in, 19, uh, in, in 2017, as people remembered. And he's... Um, until now, the only foreign country that moved its, its uh, embassy to East uh, Jerusalem to, cons- to, uh, to acknowledge that unification of, of Jerusalem. So that Jerusalem Day is about celebrating the unification of Jerusalem as the, um, the united uh, capital of Israel. For us, we consider uh, Jerusalem Arab and Palestinian and the united capital of us, ours. And um, it also provokes all the emotions all over again. And and that's why you hear about all these uh, clashes, especially these far-right groups are protected by the police and the army. And that's why the provocation happens more bloody 
than usual. Can I ask, did, was this year particularly, I mean, you just said it was more bloody than usual. Does it mark a significant divergence from the, uh, and this is going to sound horrible, but what I'm trying to say is that the conflict is intense. Has this intensified the conflict or is it more or less the same? It was more or less the same. It was always intense. But as I said in the last uh, five to ten years, it intensified a lot. But there is um, a recent juncture that maybe everybody heard about, which is uh, the killing, and I want to call it execution, of the journalist Shireen Abu Akleh, who used to work to Al Jazeera. That was significant, and it happened on the 11th of May, just four days from Nakba. And I think that was an impetus uh, for the Palestinians to feel more angry, but also for the Israelis, uh, the, um, the extremists, uh, to feel more emboldened in order to uh, provoke the emotions of the Palestinians. Because some of them, during the um, attacks on the mosque itself and the compound, the holy site where uh, Muslims um, go, uh, Shireen Abu Akleh, uh, she is a Jerusalemite originally, yeah? So she had uh, an apartment in Jerusalem. She worked in different um, outlets, media outlets, before coming to Al Jazeera. And she always, uh, you know, identified as a Palestinian Jerusalemite. And during uh, every year, since five years, since the intensifying of the attacks on the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, she used to visit those who sleep over there. There are men and women who sleep over there to, to protect it. During Ramadan, she used to bring them food and water for these uh, uh, Muslims uh, taking refuge there in order to defend it. Um, attacks on them happened even during the last uh, week of Ramadan. Um, just after that, uh, which is in 11th of May, she was reporting to Al Jazeera from um, Jenin refugee camp when there was uh, the Israelis... Uh, were invading and causing terror, as usual. And she was wearing her helmet and her uh, vest that says uh, reporter, and everything was clear that she was no way near any clashes or anything, and yet she was executed in, a, in cold blood, point blank, in her head, bullets to her head. So that angered the Palestinians, because Shireen Abu Akleh is very much loved, by the Palestinians, and Muslims and Christians carried their coffin, and while they were carrying their coffin, her coffin, even her coffin, because it was covered in Palestinian flags, it angered the police who came with batons and, and hit them on their legs and on their arms, causing the coffin partially to, uh, uh, to shake sideways until they uh, held it again. Imagine that man who was beaten, he was carrying her, and almost fell down, was, was captured, arrested in an Israeli prison he is now, two weeks after that incident. Um, how do you think the, the people, the Palestinians, will feel? But, uh, the, to tell you how much it was big for the Israelis as well, they were using her name. They were provoking the Palestinians around Al-Aqsa Mosque, saying, Shireen Matap, Shireen died, she, uh, and I'm here. So as if it's manhood for them to, to proclaim that what can you do? This is what we do. And, and they are not afraid. There are um, 
Well, Western, just, Western reporters reporting that, and they don't care. Yes, yeah, so I want to ask about this because I think it is easy for the international media and even some activists sometimes to become complacent about the situation in Palestine because it is so unrelentingly... Uh, violent and constant and intractable. Um, however, the the murder, I agree with you, it was an assassination of Shireen Abu Akleh, um, it did attract a different kind of commentary. Do you think that would lead to any form of international justice? We were hoping so because she is a very famous and prominent reporter being with Al Jazeera and having the Western media know about her more than the other obscure um, uh, journalists. Not that they are less, but yes, they work with with different outlets, but she was more prominent than everybody else. And she's been there for 20, 30, 40 years. Everybody grew up over there on on her voice. We thought this would provoke something. And yes, from um, more humanitarian side or people who are, uh, a bit left-leaning, or even mainstream Western media, they started to say there must be, um, we must be seeking justice for that. But imagine nothing happened so far. And uh, a few weeks after, like they pretended, as usual, when every assassination of an Arab-Palestinian happens, they pretend that, yes, we'll investigate into it, we'll make committee. And actually, I uh, remember hearing... Um, Arab members in parliament who, you know, the who live in uh, 1948 Israel, they, they, some of them are members in the Knesset. One of them uh, is uh, Ahmad al-Taibi, and he was telling them, um, and another one, uh, of course, al-Khatib, uh, they were calling for, uh, instead of Israeli uh, investigation to happen, for um, uh, something from the international law, something... Um, more um, could be more neutral. And the Israelis were uh, uh, outraged by that. They were livid. They wanted it to be just Israelis. And weeks after that, it died down. They stopped even claiming that uh, they would even investigate into that. Uh, And they announced, like, maybe two weeks ago, that the case is closed and there is nothing, actually. Because they, they kept lying in the beginning. They said, no, no, no. She was killed by a Palestinian. It was an accident. A Palestinian shot her by accident, uh, although Palestinians didn't have any weapons with them. That was Reem Yunus, Palestinian and socialist activist, speaking about recent events on Jerusalem Day. And before her, Elizabeth Arujo, country organiser in East Timor for a feeder community aid abroad, discussing the recent East Timor elections. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Music for Accent of Women was written and produced by George Kunjeri. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. 
You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.